Thank you for notes. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. A little higher. You hear all my snorting when you put it any higher. I don't like that. I, I did the most excruciating thing this year, this week, and that was listen to my recording. Thought, oh, and I thought it went well. <laughs> I know it's uh, it's really needful, but it's not fun. That's for sure. Well, I have um, many things, and I'm asking the uh, the Father uh, through the Holy Spirit to remind me of everything I want to say. And not to say it too quickly. That's the other thing I'm trying to remember. Slow down a little bit. That song we just sang is, uh, is a difficult for me to sing. It just brings back uh, so many memories to me. It, uh, a couple, you can remember this couple and pray for them, Janway and Shuhua. I actually used Janway's name earlier, in a, but it was a, the wrong name for the right story. But the real Janway, uh, in, we got to know in the, our second church plan in Boston. And we had no, no contacts. No, and I don't like the word contacts. In fact, I pretty much despise that word. It's so cold and business-like. We had no friends that we could communicate the gospel with. And so I put a call out. I've probably told you this before and said, does anybody know anybody who'd like to learn about the Bible? And through that, we became connected with Janwe and Shuhua. They, they didn't particularly want to learn the Bible but they wanted to learn English. And we said, we'll teach you English if we can do it by studying the Bible. And that was the arrangement we made. And so we started with our Bible study. It's a Bible study based on William Perry's book. Um, story, it's called Storyteller's Bible Study. It is like many studies anymore. starts in Genesis, works its way through uh, the New Testament, and it mostly deals with salvation issues, the story, the storyline of the cross through the Bible, William Perry, Storyteller's Bible Study. You can get it at uh, English language, what is that, language, well, I can't remember, the language multimedia, language multimedia, multimedia language is for people who, it's, it's a gospel tool to help people who don't know English know about God. So you can get all kinds of stuff there. And one of them is this book, Storyteller's Bible Study. Highly recommended for anybody. Uh, not just people who have English as the second language. So anyway, we started through this book. We have a slide presentation we used with it in those days. And started in, in Genesis and Janway and Shuhua. We we uh, began to sing the last song. What was, what's the title of that? Yes, Complete in Thee. And it became their favorite song. And 
when you get to the line about being justified, I just weep because in time, both Jianwei and Shuhua became justified. And they knew what it meant to have that peace that only justification can bring. And they remain walking with the Lord today. Sometimes they show up on the International Bible Fellowship or Bible Study, uh, online Bible study on Sunday mornings. And they're struggling. You could pray for them. I mentioned them. You can remember to pray for them. Gabriel, you moved. You were over here last week, the last two weeks, and now you're over here. Are you sure that's okay? Did you ask anybody permission to? Okay. But uh, they have, uh, they have, they for years prayed for children, and then they had twins, and uh, the twins are stuck in China with grandpa and grandma, and they can't get them back here because of COVID. And they've been there for a year. They've been without their uh, children, and, but they continue to want to love God. And when I watch that, when I hear that song, just all those Bible studies and all their struggles of faith. And how finally they did come to, and how they're still walking, but it's still a struggle for them. That all comes to mind, and it's uh, overwhelming. What a way to start the service for me. And I want a lot more of those experiences. That's what I want. That's what I'm hungry for. And so that's number one thing. I want to make sure I got that. That's off my checklist. I got it. Good. Secondly, the special announcement that Dr. Dean Taylor, that's the way to say it, Dr. Dean Taylor, you get the whole thing in there. Starts next week, right? And, and, uh, and I am so happy for, for the church. Uh, that is going to be such an incredible blessing to you. I, I, I met with Dean Taylor and Tim Capon uh, a couple weeks ago. We had lunch at, uh, at Faith. And as I talk with those men... And as I've been here for a few weeks, what I marvel at would be two things. Number one is how many people care about Northridge Baptist Church. I want you to know people love you and they're concerned for you and they want you to prosper. And to hear some of the thoughts of, you know, and not without the church consent or by themselves or somehow, but thoughts of brainstorming, how could we help this, this body of believers flourish? And, uh, you know, you have this going on here, these men who love you, they care for you, they can't wait to be engaged for in your behalf. That is such an incredible blessing. You know, when you serve in Boston, that is not there. Well, it, it was, but in a different way. And uh, you should just be so encouraged by that, you should, that, that God has not left you. He just hasn't. Your future, I believe, is bright. Now, do you have struggles to overcome? I've just been around a while, and I could number a lot of them. Boy, this, these things will have to, you know, uh, I don't know if you'd say be changed or overcome or however you want to put it, but there's a lot of hurdles to, down the road that will have to be um, navigated. But, of course, we serve the all-powerful God. That's not a big deal. He's able to help us navigate them as we're willing to allow him to navigate. That's where we have to be. So there's that. And then the other encouragement is, you know, I come into town, I'm a little familiar with this area anyway, but I've been here for a long time. And you have 
some pretty, you have a few really beat up buildings in the neighborhood that have not been cared for and people trying to sell them and some are a few with boards on them, which doesn't help the neighborhood. And you wonder, you wonder on the service level, wonder what this place is like here. Is it just a run down place? Um, not talking about the church, the neighborhood. And so you look at that and then you start noticing the international groceries all over the place, which of course always piques my interest. I'm, now if you start seeing that, I go, yeah, there we go. So you have that element. I mean, numbers of them, four or five around the, I don't know, three, four, five, I just picked up casually, they're there, and that means the world is here. It means that you have a particular uh, ability that most churches don't have. You have some strategic uh, possibilities here. They're right there, just a matter of learning how to engage them. It's right there. But then, last Sunday, after church, I was tired, and I thought, I want a cup of coffee. So I walked across the street, and I walked in the coffee shop, and uh, the one on the right, and it's full of uh, young people with their computers open. This was a whole new revelation about the neighborhood. It didn't fit the uh, international, um, you know, different, the African and, and so forth uh, grocery stores. It wasn't that. It wasn't the places with the, with the um, boards on the windows. I mean, the, the, you know, as a guy who likes to think strategically, um, missionally, if you, if you like, this really peaks, I mean, the, the interest has peaked off the charts. Like, well, wait, this is different than everything I've seen here. So I'm looking around, and I asked the person at the cash register, I said, what is your constituency here? She goes, what are you talking about? Just people, they come in here, okay? On the way out, there's a young woman sitting there with her computer open, and I took a chance that she wouldn't think that I was a strange old man and walked up to her. I said, uh, do, you, do you live in the neighborhood? <laughs> now, <laughs> well, she's going to be, be worried here. She goes, no, I don't. I said, well, do you come here to the coffee shop regularly? She goes, I do. And I said, well, where, do you come, where do you come from? And she, she, by this time, realizes I'm not just being weird, just inquisitive. And she, with a smile on her face, said, well, I go to school at Iowa State. I said, you go to school at Iowa State? What, what are you doing here? She goes, it's my favorite coffee shop. I'm going, ah. I mean, you realize this is in your neighborhood. So you not only have the... the, uh, the the person who's probably in great need socially in the neighborhood, the down and outer, they're there. They must be. Okay. You also have the world, and you also have the academic community. Do you know what that, where that puts you? Such a, a wonderful place to touch the world. And then this morning on the way in, I said, Deb, you know, we're going to get there early. Let's go to the coffee shop. I mean, this is where I would be, this you know, if I lived in the Northridge neighborhood, that'd be my place. This is my thought. But it was closed. It didn't open. It opened at 9. We got here at 8.30. So I thought, well, what are we going to do? And Deb said, well, we can go to the bakery. And I thought, last week when I walked by the bakery, in my mind, is, oh, it's just an old little bakery. That was my thought. So I said, okay, I guess. And a coffee shop opens at 9. We'll just move over there. 
I walked into the bakery. First of all, the selection is cool. You know, I wasn't supposed to have that this morning, but what are you going to do when you walk into a place like that? And then you have all this, um, I don't know if you call it counterculture or just culture now, probably just culture, art on the walls, and interesting people, some with their Bible sitting there, and we sat down. Folks, I can't even describe how that ministered to my soul, thinking this is just cool. And so I think, and there's that church just cattywampus across the street. Um, someone needs to inhabit that place, Gabriel. Do you drink coffee? You need to learn to. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, so I'm just telling you. That what? Soda. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Soda. Is that what you call that here in Iowa, soda? Pop, isn't it? Soda's out. I thought that was out east. It's cola. Okay, all right. But, folks, I say that just all to uh, encourage you. I asked a guy on the way out again. I said, do you come here often? <laughs> and he said, I do all the time. I said, this is a great coffee shop. And he, had it, he said it is. Um, uh, so be encouraged. You know, God puts you here in this place for a reason. And that reason is to touch the world. And I suspect that that's going to happen here. And the question you need to ask is, so how do we need to change? What are the things we need to do to be able to do that, to accomplish that? You have, you have potential that is beyond this world. And that's not just rhetoric. That's, that's obviously the truth here. And uh, my, our prayer going forward will be that you'll be able to realize that potential that you have. One other thought. So I marked that off. That was a big one. Hopefully my introduction doesn't do away with the message this morning. But these are important things. You know a lot about the Word, don't you? So let me just encourage you in some ways. Years ago, and I'm not talking about Northridge Baptist Church here. I'm not making a parallel, not in the way that you may think I am. So uh, I'm just not. But years ago, when Deb and I, when Deb and I first arrived in the Boston area, we lived in a town called Northwood, Nor Norwood, Norwood. It's south and west of Boston. It's outside the first interstate. We lived in a com commuter rail. Um, Community, which meant there was a train, the commuter train stopped there, and you'd go in and out of Boston. It was kind of a, a, a mid-stop before we moved into Boston. And we're looking for the church that we're going to work with, and we couldn't find it. Uh, but one of them was a, uh, a, a church in Norwood. By the way, they had a fantastic coffee shop. If you ever Norwood, Perks Coffee Shop, still there. I can tell you coffee shops all across the country, by the way. But Perks. Still there. Um, and I frequently went to Perks, but this Sunday morning, we went to the church. The church was the kind of church that you had to have a particular Bible. I'll just put it that way. And if you didn't, they were suspicious. It was so bad that when you walked into the church, even if I had my new King James, I would have had to hide that name here, because if they saw that, they may not let me in the church. And that was kind of the atmosphere. 
the message was on why there shouldn't be interracial marriage. I wasn't encouraged. And I was sitting in the coffee shop thinking I would be more edified if I went down the street and went in the Perks coffee shop. I mean, I sat at the church saying I'd be more edified. I knew that I'd be more built up in the faith if I'd walk out of that service and walk down and sit in that coffee shop and engage people the best I could of the gospel. That was my thought. I'm sure that I shared it with them. Probably complained about it for weeks. Still complaining about it, as a matter of fact. When we started our churches in Boston, back up, I had this feeling in the coffee shop this morning that here is a group of people that are enjoying the camaraderie of just drinking coffee, being in a, in a place, a friendly place. And I said, wouldn't it be great if this could just now then morph from this into a worship service? And I realized that's exactly what we did in Boston. That was the, uh, the atmosphere we created, not just a coffee shop atmosphere. It wasn't that, but it was an atmosphere where we're just together, we're just enjoying each other, and all, and all of a sudden we sing some choruses, and then we start teaching the Word of God together. Or then we just pray together naturally. Everybody prays. Then we understand the word of God. Or try to. And then we have lunch. And we you know, meet until 2.30 in the afternoon every Sunday. It was much like just moving from a coffee shop atmosphere, a friendly atmosphere, into worship of God. A place where people felt at home to, to talk about their real needs of their life and pray about real things. That's the atmosphere, that is the kind of thing that we need in churches. Not that we want to become like the world. We most definitely don't want to become like the world. But the image of God pops up in the oddest places, and you can learn from it. So all of that, I hope that's, uh, you know, these stories are meant to inform, and I hope that they do as you think about how do we use this place that God has put us to see people from everywhere trust Christ? Here and then back there. How do we do that? Let's turn to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and I get to Sunday school so I can take the liberty to break this up, taking, becoming more courageous as I've been here now for three Sundays. I asked the ushers when I came in, do I have to wear my tie today? They said no. And so um, I talked with Deb. She had a different opinion. She wasn't sure that was a good idea. So I, I talked with the brain trust, the, the Deeks. And they said, it's fine. You don't have to have that on. I hope I don't offend you, but it cuts my wind off. Maybe because I'm getting fatter. I don't know, but I can't I can lose my brain. And I don't want another presentation like I had last week. So I want to take it off so I can think. And I hope you're not offended by that. If there was anybody, I would put it back on again. It's important to be able to teach the Word of God. And if you get in people's way of that by the way you dress, that's a bad idea. We shouldn't use our liberty in that way. Okay, so Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Now, the effort has been in these weeks to be able to give something that will edify the church particularly in the way of helping the church minister to the world around it. 
I have been doing this in one way or another, this helping the church know how to minister to the world around it, for many, many years. And sometimes it's been successful and sometimes it hasn't been. And I've learned from both sides. That's what we need to do. One of the successes was when I taught at Faith Baptist Bible College for three years, way back there, way back 25 years ago. One of the guys I taught was uh, Dave Berman. Now, you could put this on, because I hope he hears this. Dave was a young, challenged kid back in the day. You know, do you know who Dave, anybody know Dave Berman? The Berman family is church planters, and, and Dave now is the pastor of First Baptist Church, Elyria, Ohio. It's a, it's a large church. I can't imagine a person wanting to pastor that church, but he does. I mean, the headaches of a Christian school and keeping the whole thing going over time, I don't know how you do that, but he's there, and he's very successful at pastoring. And he, and he thanks me every time I, I'm there for teaching him. And I'm going, I didn't teach you how to do this because I don't know how to do what you're doing. I really don't. But what did I teach? Principles of how you get there. Principles. What are, what are, the, what are those things God has given us that will help us will help us to know what we're to do and how we're to go about it. That's what I've always tried to do, not so much the nuts and bolts of how you do each Bible study, but what are the kind of thoughts you should have and philosophy of ministry, those types of things. And that's, that's what I want to do today for the rest of my time, because I've tried to do the last few weeks. One of the assignments we had in, in local church ministry class I was the local church ministry chair in those years, was go to your church. First of all, define in, in your paper that you hand, out, hand to me what it means to be a local church. What does it mean to be a local church? And having decided that, I'd like you to go to your church and critique the ministry, not with a negative spirit, but to ask how is the church fulfilling these parameters of the church or these guidelines of the church. How do you do that? And it was depressing, if you want to know the truth, when the results came back. I mean, we, our churches tend to have a lot of traditions, and why are they there? Well, because we have done that forever. And the thought process hasn't been, how do we take the, what the Word of God teaches and apply it to the community in which God has put us? which is what we need to do rigorously. But Dave did that. Dave uh, did all that, and he wrote. He had this little chart. It was, a, it was circles inside of circles showing how all the various aspects of ministry fits together to actually accomplish the work of God. A number of years later, in a, in a different church where he was pastor, and I want to show, he said, I want to show you something. And he said, this is the fellowship hall that we decided to put on here. He said, you want to know Why? I said, why? Because you taught me all those years ago that this aspect of ministry is essential and we couldn't do it without this addition. And I thought, oh, I guess there was something actually that did happen in those three years. Okay? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, so the question comes, what are those parameters? What are we as a church? There's a couple passages that talk about that. This is one of those. When I outline my local church ministry, 
course, it was on the Great Commission as we see in Matthew 28. So let's read. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, verse 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I've ref- uh, I will have referred to some of what I'm going to say before, but that's okay, because I can't remember when I said it. It's one thing. And secondly, it's okay to reiterate that which is really important to ministry. So the great command here, as I said, I outlined my local church ministry class by, from this passage because I, I felt like, I believe my conviction is, this is kind of the groundwork. This is kind of the foundation for local church ministry. Christ's command as he got ready to leave, empower the church, Here's what you're to be doing. I believe that's what the passage is about. And I won't develop that. I could do that some other time if you'd like. Um, But the command then, well, first of all, first of all, notice what he says. I don't know how long this will take, but this, I think, is all really important material. So bear with me. Uh, Try to stay awake. Listen carefully. I'm not going to try to be exciting. I'm going to try to teach what I think is essential. Okay. After all the years of ministry, I, I believe this will help you. And, and the, the first item I note, it's not a point, it's just kind of the context, is that Jesus reminds them that I have all authority. And he ends by saying, I'll be with you always. You know, Gabriel, in Hebrew class, in Hebrew poetry, we have been studying inclusios, <laughs> which I don't care what it's called, but it means that in poetry there's a beginning and an end that, that shows you that's the end of the poem. And, and I, I think of that word when I look at the Great Commission. Can you see what, what he says? He says, listen, I, Jesus said, okay, I, I'm getting ready to tell you or to give you a, what seems like an impossible command to obey. Let me ask you, young people, kids. Okay. Do you remember, or anybody, do you remember your father or mother giving you something to do that you just couldn't possibly do? Sean, did your dad ever do, ever do that to you? Can't remember off the top. Well, you, it might... Oh, interesting, yeah. yeah. I remember shoveling a huge, what seemed like a huge driveway. My dad said I had to do it. I was in trouble. And I, and I was always in trouble until I became a Christian. It just was a state of being for me. Okay. That still is, actually. <laughs> but uh, but here, here, Jesus is saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right away that and just think with me that what Jesus commands us here and what he commanded his disciples then seems utterly impossible. Doesn't it? I want you, here's your job, men. Go disciple the nations, all of them. I want you to make disciples of the world, people from all over the world. This is your job. Does that seem difficult to you today? 
Yeah? Well, it did then, too, I'm sure. And so Jesus started by saying, I have all authority before I, you know, power in the sense of authority, exousia, authority. I have all authority. And by the way, I'll be with you. So the job can be done. Now, I know that I've mentioned this, but let me ask you. You know, we have been Christians for a long time. We've heard this hundreds, probably hundred plus times, okay? Let me ask you, do you really believe we can accomplish this? Or has it become kind of like, um, I don't know, a trite saying, uh, I don't know, how would you put it? We're just so familiar with it. It's not something really going to happen, but it's there. But Jesus is telling us, no, this is our command, and we are to do it. It's a privilege and a stewardship. It's both of those. He wants us to accomplish this. And as I have said before, the God who gave us this job is making that way available. He is empowering us to do that. We are weak vessels. We'll have to confirm that. Are we not? Yes, we are. We all sin in many ways to this day. That's the United Testimony of Scripture. And yet, our commander has said we can accomplish a job, and, and, and we can. We can do this, because he has prepared the way. And he's prepared the way. Now, this is what I believe. This is, in, this is built down deep in the fiber of my being. It's not just an illustration I came up with to talk to Northridge Baptist Church. He has prepared the way by neighborhoods like this. God has made it like this. And I hope that you'll take that away and think about it. The sovereign God has brought neighborhoods like this together where you have the global community, you have the, the, uh, the academic community, you have the counterculture or culture community. They're all here. And then there's Northridge Baptist Church with a, with a solid theology with a wonderful Savior plunked down right in the middle of that. So he said, I have authority, folks. Jesus is saying to you today, I have all authority. There's nobody going to stand against me. A little bit earlier in the book, he said, the gates of hell can't stop the church. Not going to happen. And I'll be with you. So that means as you go about your ministry, you're not by yourself. You don't have to think outside of God's box. You need to think about what he's doing and join him. It's not up to us. It's up to him and joining him in his work. That's a principle of scripture. You look into the neighborhood. What's going on? What is God doing? How do I join him? Some may want to move into the neighborhood. Wouldn't be a bad idea. Be a really good idea, actually. Not everybody, it's not for everybody. Not everybody's able to do that. But if you are, if you could, be a good idea to do that. Become part of the people. Anyway, that's the context here. That's what Jesus says. It can be done. It can be done. You need to stop and think about that. It can be accomplished. This church can look like the neighborhood, like that coffee shop on Sunday morning. It should be right here. Put them out of the business on Sunday morning. I'd start with coffee right over there by the piano. 
<laughs> and then he tells us how to do it. So I uh, hear... Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. Uh, I want you to make disciples of all nations. That's the command. And the command for you is: here it is in your neighborhood. Make disciples of the neighborhood, which is many, many nations. Okay, and you do that by first of all going. Now I know that. Many people have said through, the, through many years now that it should be having gone. And, and you could get that if you, you can't find that in, the, in the, uh, the verb that is there, that having gone, you can't find that. You could, that is a, that could be an accurate translation. However, the same construction is found elsewhere in the Gospels same verbal construction and it's clearly in those contexts go and I believe that the translators have it right despite the, the last 10 or 15 years dialogue on this passage that is not having gone that's a true thing but that his command is to go that to, to leave our place of comfort and to go there to reach people now, let me ask you a question. I want to keep you with me. I'm trying to go slow, so, so when I get done speaking, I don't feel like if I listen to it, like it's a bunch of headings without any content. <laughs> okay, so I'm going slow on purpose. But when, So when you think about going, what do you think about? And I'm asking you that question, everybody. Let's, let's uh, get into the nuts and bolts of this. Let's pull ourselves together and understand what Jesus is saying, what he's commanding us to do. When you, and the way to do that is to, to enter into this with me and think about it. What does he mean to go? You may think that's a very easy question. So then he answered if it's very easy. What would you say? Go towards the, the destination, someplace. And, and, and I think that's exact, that is at least correct. Okay. At the very bottom level of going is going. I, my, my younger brother, if he's listening to this, my younger but older looking brother. I'll tell him to listen to it now before that, okay? was in the Cedar Heights Baptist Church way back when he was in college, had recently come to Christ, and Gary Moosey, the pastor, said, what does it mean to go? And Bob will tell the story. He's sitting there calmly, quietly in the back, listening. He said, what does it mean to go? It means go! He said, I came up out of my seat like you did just a little bit there, right? Yeah, that's what it means, but now think with me. You pick up and you go to Ukraine, which is in the news. We need to pray for Ukraine and the Christians of Ukraine and the Ukrainian people who are standing right now. What happens when you land in Kiev? Is that it? Kiev or Kiev, whatever their capital is? I see it in the news and I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Let's say they're not at war and you land there. You go up and you get down out of the plane, you go put your luggage, and you go to the guy and you say, hey, would you like to hear the gospel? And the guy says, oh, I'm so glad you came. Could you please? I've been waiting all my life for you to explain this to me. Thank you. Is that the way? 
<laughs> Is that the way it goes? No. You know, my, my son taught in, uh, we're going to go a little bit here, then we'll break and have our Sunday school. There's three points, and they're on the first one. Some will be shorter than the others. But my son, Rob, taught in our church in, in Snow, at Snowden International High School, which is dead center Boston. You really can't be any more center than that. It's a, and he talked about evangelism about halfway through the Sunday school class. He said, okay, we're going to go do it. <laughs> could you imagine? We could do that today. I said, okay, let's go. And he handed out tracks, and we hit the pavement outside. <laughs> the second half of Sunday school class was going out there, distributing tracks. And I committed my son. I mean, his, uh, his um, fervor was wonderful. He's, by the way, an awesome son, <laughs> just for your information. How did the folks respond? You have a track. You're walking down the street. You come up to a person from mainland China. You know what they'll do? They're scared to death of you. They walk like this. They don't know what you're doing. Why are you bothering me? Are you going to hurt me? I don't understand. The Bostonians say would be, get out of my face. <laughs> it's worse. If it was New York, they'd punch you in the nose. Am I wrong? <laughs> what am I saying? It was culturally not acceptable, and it was not going to work to hand out tracts in the middle of Boston. It just wasn't going to work. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that going involves leaving one place and going somewhere else. It might be leaving, walking out that door, walking across the street, quite a sacrifice, heading in that coffee shop, getting a nice pastry, a cup of coffee. Boy, that's a sacrifice, isn't it? Hmm? But when you get there, you're not going to hand out a track. You're, just like if you go to Ukraine any civilization in the world, you have to learn the people before you can talk to them about the gospel. How do I enter their life? How do, how do I go from my culture into their culture? That's what you have to do. That's part of going. It's physically leaving, but when you physically leave, you have to be incarnational. You have to get into that civilization, that place. You have to become part of those people. And so Jesus, get the principle. And so Jesus left the side of his father, came among sinful men, so he could communicate and so he could die for them. And that's a model for us. We, we can't just stay in the comfort zone of the body of Christ and be effective reaching the world. You can't do that. That's not, for me, I prefer out there where it's crazy. I just prefer it. But not all of us are built that way. Not all of us are gifted that way. But all of us are responsible to, what, to do what it means to go. To leave our home and be in that culture. That's why it's not bad to move into the neighborhood. That's going. We're not sharing exactly what the gospel is. That would be for another time a very important, essential topic of the clarity of the gospel, but that's not today. 
Second point is, the way we build the church is by going, but then by baptizing. And I'll be brief here, because I want to talk about the third point more. What is baptism? Class, what is baptism? Why do we do that? Yes, Rachel? Okay, testimony of that what we believed. So we, have, we show the death, burial, and resurrection by being baptized. And this is what I believe. I'm a Christian. Many of the mainland Chinese that we have ministered to, they know they're justified by faith. But if you ask them when they became a Christian, they'll say, well, I was baptized on such and such a date. They don't mean that they trusted in Christ then. They mean that they showed themselves to be a Christian, and that bothered me to no end. You know, you bring somebody to a church, they share their testimony, and it sounds like they're saved at baptism. It's not helpful to the missionary to have that happen. I'll just tell you, it doesn't help. But then I realized this is really, they're really accurate, actually. I mean, there was a time when people began to be called Christians, and that was when they started, they lived such a distinctive lifestyle that they'd be called Christians. Okay, so there's that, as Rachel is correct. I think that in the Great Commission, since it's a third, a third of the commission, it's, you know, going, baptizing, that the, uh, there's many parts of the church life that enters in here. Living, I would put it this way, living the baptized life. You're, you're showing that you're going to be a follower of Christ in baptism. What does that life look like? What does a baptized life look like? And, and just like we'll crawl off the altar as a living sacrifice, we need to renew our commitment to live the baptized lifestyle. So we, send a, we, we spend a lifetime in the church teaching what it means to live that way. You, you're, you're leaving the old world, entering into a new world. You're, you're used to be living for this, and now you're living for this. Your fellowship used to be out there, but now it's in here. All these are part of, are, are an um, extension of what it means to live the baptized life. And we need to spend a lot of time, a lot of theology, a lot of teaching on what that means. We never need to move away from that. We should always come back to that. I have to think about that as an illustration when I get into any sports activity. It's a danger for me. At Notre Dame University, we were kicked off the campus after the first year. All religious groups, except for the Roman Catholic group, was kicked off. We were one of them. And the way we fixed that was by just meeting with friends. What, one of the ways that worked for me was to become a walk-on wrestling coach at the Notre Dame wrestling team. Brilliant, huh? Except for I'm an Iowa wrestler. It's an old idol. Oh, it's so hard not to spend too much time. Now, do I want this guy to come to Christ or be a champion? Which, which is more important? That's what I mean. So I had to go back. What's it mean to live as a baptized person? So years later, rock climbing came along. Oh, I'm just a fanatic. I love it. I love the atmosphere. You know, I just like all of it. I want to be there stretching watching people climb, overcome their difficulties. 
it's just cool. But then I had to say, now, are you spending too much time doing this? Is this really what God's called you to do? That's the baptized life. We spend a lifetime teaching each other, fellowshipping with each other, helping each other remain centered on Christ. The world is lost. I'm still going to go rock climbing, by the way. I'm not going to give that up yet. <laughs> if we can find a place to do it. So now the third point. And Susan, this is for you. You, uh, you, you I think, had the... Uh, uh, well, at least from my way of thinking, the most penetrating question, the most pertinent question, for, for uh, the most insightful question, if I may say, um, of how, how do we go about this? And, and I had a quick answer. I liked the answer. My answer had a reason. The question was, can we enter into this project in the neighborhood? Urban renewal project. And I said, well, and it, uh, it is being put forward by people with a, a much different worldview than we have. And my answer was, are they making an abortion clinic? And I think you got the point right away. No, they're not. Do they're doing something that's neutral, that's good for the community. Well, then, let's go. All right. Now, I want to show you that, where I see that in the Great Commission. Okay? And th this is... I just pray to God that we can make progress with this principle here today. Right now, in this bit of time that we have, that we'll get this. Because notice the third part, how do I make disciples? This is the program for the church. Folks, if I were to organize a church, which I've done a couple times and haven't gotten to this point, that you, you would have a pastor and ideally three other pastors, or to begin with, at least three deacons, maybe four, actually. Uh, but the deacons would be the, the deacon of evangelism, helping us communicate the gospel. One would be of baptism, helping us live the baptized lifestyle. And one would be this third part, which is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So you have the pastor, those three, and you just develop the church around that. What, now notice carefully, Jesus says, guys, here's the impossible job. Here's how you do it. You teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always. Uh, you teach them to observe, to do, to live all things which I have commanded you. Okay, here's a quiz, class. What were all those things? You pretty much say anything Jesus did, you'll be okay. This is an easy quiz. If you don't get an A on this quiz, you're never going to get one. <laughs> what did Jesus command in the scripture? In the, in the, so when did Jesus? All whatsoever I have commanded you. He's speaking in time. He's speaking about past time at this point. I think it also points forward, but we'll talk about that just a little bit later. So Jesus says, you want to make disciples, you've got to teach them all things I have commanded you. Name me one of them that he commanded us. Make disciples, that's one. What else? What's that? No, my ears are horrible, so I... Casting out demons. All right. We're not going to do that. 
<laughs> no, but that is a, that's a great answer. Why? And so did Jesus cast out demons? Why did he do that? Oh, you could probably figure that out, but somebody else can too. You did fine. You answered your part of the question, but if you have more, feel free to enter in. Why did Jesus cast out demons? Because he loved people. You know, that, that's one reason. I think there's more than one reason. Um, oftentimes we, we, we say to show his authority, which I'm sure, that, did he show his authority by casting out demons? Absolutely showed his authority. Other reason, reason and that, by the way, is a great answer because it really helps. Other reasons would be, well, to show that, he, yes, he's the authority of the Messiah. He's the one that's coming. Okay, and so there's that, but there's also the third answer, which I don't know if we saw this with demons, I'll have to think through it, and maybe some of you uh, would, would know, but, but sometimes Jesus would do miracles, and as he did them, right before it, the author, whoever was writing, say, and having compassion, he did such and such, fed the masses, healed the person, having compassion. And I think, no, I think it was those with disease that he healed. He said, don't tell anybody about this. Now, let me ask you, how how do you show yourself to be the Messiah? If that's your only purpose? How do you show yourself to be the coming one if if they can't tell anybody? But you can show compassion in that picture. And you're certainly going to say something to the person you just cast the demon out that you care for them. Or the person that you healed. Now, don't, now, now understand I know that Jesus is God and nothing is impossible for him. So when I say this, understand that, that it seemed like he couldn't help himself. It was just who he was to care for people. Now, he did all that. He, he healed. He cast out demons. He, he helped people come back from the dead. He calmed the storm. He fed the masses. Sometimes so everybody would know about it. Sometimes just because that's what needed to be done, somebody asked him to do it. But then on the basis of that, on the basis of all that, he presented to them the answer to their lives. Listen, the world had the, the ability, they had the opportunity to see and observe Jesus as the Messiah, as the coming one, as the answer to all of our questions. And having seen all that stuff, all those miracles, he then said, I am. I am the way of life. He explained through his actions and his teaching, I am the Savior of the world. And they listened some, although the world knew him not and his own received him not. Some understood and believed. They looked at him, and even some who may not have believed said, well, I'm confused. Has any man done these kinds of things? Remember the guy that was, was he blind? And Jesus healed him. 
And the authorities came and said, what? Yes, he was blind. He said, they, they came to his parents and said, hey, what happened? They go, we don't know. Leave us alone. We're afraid. They came to him. What happened? Well, I was blind and he healed me. And they said, well, we know that that can't be true. The guy's a sinner. He goes, well, I don't know if he's a sinner, but he healed me. And this blind man reminds me of the Ukrainians somehow. He said to those Pharisees who had the ability to throw him out of the synagogue, he said to them, well, who are you, basically? Here, here you telling me, but he's the one who healed me. And Jesus came back to him. Do you remember that? And finished the job. Folks, that's what Jesus told us to do. That's why I got two exercise last week and started making headings instead of explanations. It's like I could have written a book if there's no content, just the headings going through there. Jesus presented himself as a person worthy of believing in. So you go out there out of the track and some person looks at you, they're cross-eyed, like, why should I listen to you? Who are you? You've not taken any part in my life. The church has to, and, and no, the church needs to learn to show the community that they are the ones that are sent by God to help them. And we do that by holistic ministry. Now, this is my commission. This is what I'm willing to fight for. That when you, when you enter into a city in the social needs of the city, you are not compromising. You are doing the will of God. And, and so the question that Northridge Baptist Church needs to ask is, how do we do that? What are the needs of our, the real needs of our community? Not the selfish, you know, just give me some money needs. What are they? How do we show compassion? How do we show the community that we genuinely care for the real needs? Because God made us into a holistic, a whole person, not just a spiritual person. Jesus said, I have all authority. I'll be with you always, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the building of my church. So just do it in my way. Go, teach the baptized life, and teach him to observe all things he's commanded. Now, I need to say one additional word, and that is that I, that I believe that these things need to be verified by the epistles because, because I look at the, the scripture dispensationally. Not because I grew up as a dispensationalist, but because I think it's clear that the, the epistles, for instance, are written to the church. And if I want to understand hard things in the rest of the Bible, I need to go through the epistles. And do I see this there or, or even in the book of Acts? And I think that you can. I can only leave it there. I see you think that I see. I think that you can see that there's a concern for the whole community, but especially for the body of Christ. Compassion starts here in the body as you love people here with real needs. The community, which is outside, will see that, but there should also be compassion out there. And how you do that is full of dangers. You can become too involved out there. You can become too invested, just like I become too invested in sports. 
you can become too invested in the promotion of the community, and it's hard not to do that. But then again, ministry is hard. It's not for the it's not for the meek. Well, I guess it is in one sense. But you understand what I'm saying. All right. I'm going to pray. Thank you, Father, for this time. I pray that you would use these words. Help us. These are the parameters. Help us to apply them in the body and in this community. Help us think through them. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.